So here in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we see a picture of mercy. Okay, so he, he gives us a description of who we all are. Okay, you, none of us is outside of this. Okay, we were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And, but he starts that verse by saying for. For connecting it to the idea that he just gave. Don't speak evil of anyone. Be peaceful. Be gentle. Be meek with everybody. What's the motivation? Because we were all, we're all destitute. We're all, we are all, or we all have been there, okay? Empty, void of beauty. But then he references, but, okay, what, what makes the difference for us? Okay, we used to be like that. We used to be, <clears throat> excuse me, disobedient, deceived, foolish, walking around in our lusts and according to our pleasures and malice and envy and being hateful people, you know, we know, we know what that's like, okay? And we know that only, only by the grace of God, we're not like that. And he says, but when the kindness of the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, okay? He saved us from the carnal man, that same carnal person. Maybe you have somebody in your head throughout this morning and maybe now. This carnal person that is just aggravating. I just wish that they would show a little thankfulness or some sort of something. You know? He says, not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Okay? So this gives us the foundation for how we get to be merciful. What gives us the motivation to be subject to authorities, to obey, to be ready to do anything good? to speak evil of nobody, to be peaceable, gentle, to be meek and carry ourselves in humility amongst people. Because we've received mercy, now we get to go and give it out. That's kind of the point he's trying to make here. And not only, has, he just doesn't just say we've been given mercy, but the Holy Spirit, in verse 6, has been poured out on us abundantly. An abundant outpouring of the Holy Spirit and his work has been given to us. And given us a hope of an eternal inheritance. If with this in mind, what is it that perhaps some unthankful person takes something from us without being thankful or without even asking? Maybe something is stolen. I don't know. What, what, who cares? We have an eternal inheritance. God has been so abundant with me by pouring out His Spirit upon me. Why should I be mean to anybody? Why should I be merciless to anybody? Why should I uplift myself against anybody? Because I have all the motivation in the world to be the opposite of that. Let's look at another passage. Turn my page here. Let's look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 13, we'll start. James 2, 13 to 14. And then verse 18. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Okay? I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. The beatitude we read is the opposite of that. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And here you have the opposite. 
Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. If you are a merciless person, if you do not show mercy, then you shall not receive mercy. You rather shall be judged without mercy. If you have a life that you're living that considers not the poor and the destitute. And he continues, mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, that is a twofold concept. Christ's mercy in us has triumphed, triumphed over the judgment that we should receive. But it also considers the, uh, the human element where we can be pretty judgy. We can be pretty judgy, can't we? Somebody does something and we have something to say about it. We always have to have our opinions about people, about how good or how bad they are what they've done right and what they've done wrong. We're always setting ourselves up as um, the one who gets to determine the value of people. But rather, and we're not going to look at this passage, um, but what the Bible says, what covers a multitude of sins? Love. Love. Love covers a multitude of sins. And what that means is essentially what is being stated here, is if you love somebody... Actually, we might look at this passage just because it's important. If you love someone with this Christian love, their sin is not for you to judge. Their sin is rather an opportunity for you to show them mercy, to love them, to not hold them accountable to their sin yourself because only God has the right to do that. We don't hold people accountable to their sins because we're not the lawgiver. We're not the judge and the justifier. That's God. Rather, when we love our neighbor, and beyond. <clears throat> we cover, we, we don't hold them accountable for their sins. Rather, we forgive them. The Bible speaks a lot about forgiveness. In fact, we'll look at a passage that talks about that. Look at verse 18 and says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I, will ha- and I have works. And then Paul, Paul replies, Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Basically what he's saying here is you can't show your faith without your works. If you don't have the works, then you don't have the faith. That's the point he's trying to make here. He's saying, I'm going to show you my faith, not by what I say, because we can say a great deal of things that aren't true about ourselves. You know, we, we have the proverb happening all the time. We have all these rain clouds passing by us, but they give us nothing. <laughs> they give us nothing. Or they'll drop the rain in a place that maybe doesn't need it as much. (laughs) You know, but we can say a lot about ourselves, but who cares what you say about yourself? Show your faith by your works, Paul is saying. To just reiterate what he had just stated, judgment is going to be without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. doesn't matter how you talk about what you believe in your confession and your doctrine. Nobody cares. God doesn't care about that. I mean, he does, but just to make the point. But if you're not, a, if you're not going to go and show mercy, go to show the mercy of God, then you, can't, you haven't received the mercy of God. That's the point he's trying to make. Let's move on. Let's go to Matthew 18. Starting in verse 21. Then Peter came to him, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? 
Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. And now he gives a parable to teach this concept. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which in all intents and purposes is an amount that he could never pay back. But as he was not able to pay, in verse 25, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion. Say there's that compassion that produces this act of mercy. And he released him and forgave him the debt. See, the mercy that flows from compassion is where God himself has reason to forgive us. Not Remember, not by works of righteousness which you have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved you, right? So even God's forgiveness for us is born from mercy. Mercy begins the forgiveness, okay? And forgiveness is, a, is, the, is the baby of mercy. So he released him and forgave him all of his debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants and owed him a hundred denarii, which was not that big of an amount. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So he's getting violent because of the small amount. So this servant, his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you out all. And he would not, and he threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. But then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, from, <clears throat> do to each of you, if from his heart he does not forgive his brother his trespasses. That's pretty profound. And this is a story about mercy and forgiveness. The scene of master and slave. A slave that, a master, the master did not have to show mercy to his servant. His master had complete say over what happened to that servant. He had complete say. But what? He had compassion. He had compassion on his servant. Forgave him everything. Released him. Be free. The servant, all he did was beg. <laughs> he raised the white flag. What? That's just amazing what he did there. Right. And this is a picture of God in us. We have no way of paying our debt that we owe to God because of our sin. No way. But God, because he was compassionate, shows us mercy and forgiveness without expecting anything in return. But what makes him angry? This master, what made him angry enough to... Okay, so he was still forgiven of his debt... <laughs> but held him again to his debt. Why? Because he did not show mercy. Because this servant did not show mercy in accordance to the mercy that he was shown. And this, this servant number three, and we go, 
So you have the master, maybe a head servant, and then, you know, your low servant. This low servant paid barely, owed barely anything to this head servant. Barely anything. And that's kind of coming into our world, where somebody owes us something, or does something, or needs something. And this head servant would not show the same mercy. It wasn't even as big of a deal for him to show the mercy, because it was just a very small amount that, that he was owed. When this master had just given him abundant mercy. But yet this, this, little, this head servant couldn't show little mercy, little forgiveness, and something that was done to him, kept from him. So the master gets angry and says, you know what? You were shown such great mercy, but yet you couldn't show this man mercy. Get back in that dungeon. I'm going to hold you accountable for everything that you owed. Everything. And then he says, So my heavenly Father also will do to, each, do to you if each of you, from his heart, does not forgive his brother's trespasses. From his, heart refer, from his heart referring back to that compassion. If you don't show compassion to your fellow man, forgive, show mercy. If you're not going to be merciful and forgive, if you're going to hold stuff against people, if you're going to refuse people charity, when you have the ability to help them, you're not like your father. You're not operating according to the mercy that you were given. And the Lord will hold you accountable for that. Look at Jude. Only one verse in Jude. Verse 21. Jude, verse 21 and 22 says, Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some having compassion, making... Okay, now this is kind of a confusing statement that is hard to kind of decipher just from the English translation. My translation says making a distinction. Does somebody else have a different translation of verse 20, Jude, verse 22? On some having compassion, making a distinction. Making a difference, okay? Somebody else have some another translation? <clears throat> Mine just says, have mercy on those who waver. Have mercy on those who waver. <clears throat> and that one is more in line with what the, what the originals are getting at. When it says, on, and, having and on some having compassion, making a difference, basically this making a difference clause is talking about people who are tossed to and fro, um, basically the, this describing a spiritual battle, a faith battle where they're not really convinced of the faith of Jesus Christ. They're struggling with faith. They're struggling in their spiritual life. And this is basically saying you need to be compassionate to people who are in a faith crisis. You're not supposed to come against them and say, if you don't make this decision right now, you're going to be burning in hell with the rest of the wicked. You know, that's not the way of evangelism. The way of evangelism is says, you're having a heart, you're having a struggle. Okay, it's understandable because the Bible even says this, this way of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. Okay? So it's understandable why people might be in the middle of a faith crisis. Because it's by nature foolishness to those who perceive, don't perceive things yet according to the way of Christ. Um, and because of that understanding, we show compassion to people who are in the middle of a faith crisis, who 
can't believe yet because they don't, they, they're just not convinced that this is the way. Um, so we have compassion not just on people who are in physical need, but we have compassion on those who are in spiritual need. People who just aren't sure yet if they want to follow this way of Christ. We don't come and lash out against them, but rather we have compassion on them, looking to be kind to them because of the kindness that we've received from God, knowing that we would not believe unless the Lord had drawn us to him. And so we, in compassion and understanding, I mean, we who believe in election and predestination have more cause for compassion in this regard than anybody in the world, because we know that we cannot understand this unless the Lord quickens our, our spirit, unless the Lord himself shows our mind, helps us to see the way, to come alive and see taste of this. And if they haven't been convinced yet, we must in compassion lead them and pray for them that the Lord might open their eyes so that they might see rather than coming against them, striking out and saying, how could you doubt this? Look at how obvious it is. So there's, this is another type of person that we show compassion on rather than a violent spirit. A frustrated spirit. Because remember, I was just thinking about this not that long ago. Like, So Moses was complaining about how he couldn't speak, right? You know, when God called him at the burning bush. I, sorry, I can't speak. I, I, I mumble with my words and I'm not very good at it. And uh, well, he gives him air and he sends him to Pharaoh. But in that story of Moses and Pharaoh and leading the people out of, out of, the, out of Egypt... Was it Moses that convinced Pharaoh to let his people go? It wasn't Moses. God sent Moses to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. But Moses, didn't. Moses wasn't the reason Pharaoh let his people go. God was. God was the reason Pharaoh let his people go. Even though he sent Moses to proclaim the command of the Lord, it was still the Lord who caused Pharaoh to let the people go. And in the same way, when we go forth, we don't go forth as though it's all up to us. Like, if, if I don't force this person into salvation, then they're not going to get saved. You know, no. God sends us forth like he sent forth Moses. But all the while, we can see from the testimony of Moses and Pharaoh that it's still God who's going to be releasing the people, <laughs> so to speak. It's still God who's going to be convincing the one who needs convincing. It's his work that is effectual in the person's spirit even though we're the one who is sent to be the voice. Okay? So in that sense, we, when we understand who we are, what our responsibility is and what God's responsibility is, we have all the reason to be compassionate to those who are struggling in faith. And we pray that God will open their eyes. Look at First Peter. Let me, I wasn't. I don't think I was intending to go here, but look at First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. And I mentioned this before, but look at this. Let's start in verse seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Above all, okay, keeping in mind, as you see the day approaching, essentially, 
Above all, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And then he goes on to say, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. See, there's that show love from your heart, okay? The compassion that's supposed to come from your heart. That's how we can be hospitable to people without grumbling, because we do it from compassion rather than duty. Somebody who is trying to be merciful out of duty is going to be complaining about it all the time. I can't believe, can you hear, under, did you see what they did? Did you hear about this? How could they, that? But no, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Why? Because your love for them is much stronger than their sins against you. Your love for them, your compassion for them, this mercy that you're giving from the Lord, it, it, and Spurgeon said, in regards to mercy and love, he says, we must always have one blind eye and one deaf ear. One, okay? A blind eye and a deaf ear towards people's sins in regards to us. Not that the other eye discerns, it makes sure you're on the right path and, you know, that you're leading them accordingly. But that eye that would be offended by them, that eye that would, pers- that would focus and judge them for their sins that they're committing, let that one be blind. Don't worry about their sin because they're accountable to God for all that. They're not accountable to you, even for sins they've committed against you. And... If you look back, and I'll just close with some of these examples, if you look back, many of the great leaders of the faith, um, even in just in the last couple hundred years, you look at their life and you see framework of mercy and love that made all of what they did possible. You know, for instance, I wrote down this little story about Corey Tenboom. Now, she had told a story about a former Nazi murderer who had just gotten saved during a church service that she was preaching at. Corey Ten Boom had just given the gospel message, and a, and a former Nazi jailer just got saved. And Corey Ten Boom recounts in this story that she remembers his face in the jail that she, held, she was held. She remembered this man as he approached her to thank her for her message and that he had just gotten saved, and she remembered him because she was imprisoned. In fact, during that imprisonment, her, her sister was murdered. She remembers, she recounts the piles of clothing that had been stripped off of the dead Jews, piled near the prison where she was abused. And this former Nazi, who had been her jailer uh, during her time in prison, approached her with his arms his arm open for a handshake, and he said with excitement, How grateful I am for your message, Froline, to think that as you say that he has washed away my sins. And then she recounts that as he held his hand out to shake hers in friendship, she says, in quote, Vengeful thoughts boiled through me. I saw the sin of them. That is talking about her thoughts. She saw that her, her thoughts were sinful. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. But she still recounts that she felt nothing for this man. She couldn't lift her hand to shake it, to shake his hand. Not until she prayed yet again, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And then at that point, she recounts that she suddenly felt joy and love spring up in her heart for this man. 
and she was overwhelmed with forgiveness. You know, this, mer- this heart of compassion, this heart of mercy, it, sometimes it is very hard, especially when you have personally been hurt by somebody. And that is why, like with Corey Ten Boom, we must ask the Lord for him to grant us his forgiveness. Because it's from him, right? It's from him, his mercy. It's his character that he's bestowing upon us. And there are some times where it's very hard, and so maybe you're at this point where you're like, man, I am not a merciful person. We need to ask God, God, give me your mercy. Give me your heart of compassion because I just haven't had it. Give me your forgiveness for this person that I've been resenting for years. It's hard. I know, I understand. There are lots of terrible, sickening ways that we can be hurt by other people in this life. I've heard many stories that just, even if if I think about them to this day, my hair stands on end, just the type of abuse people experience in this life. And to think that, now we have to forgive them? That sounds very hard. But the fact is that when you consider the forgiveness and the mercy we've received from God, it is possible. It is possible, but we need to ask Him for His strength to do it. But going forward, and I'll close with this, I really would like to see this church become a church that is known for its mercy. It's known for its hospitality, for its love, that does not condemn, but rather welcome the hurting, the impoverished, the destitute, both spiritually and physically speaking. And it just, I was, I've been thinking this week about different, different people in the past. And like I said before, any ministry that you think about in the past that really was, um, really was a bright light in the world for Christ was a ministry that had the framework of mercy. Okay, you have the picture of, God, the, of the gospel that the people really need to see, but it's framed in mercy. And, you know, Corey Tenboom I talked about, she spent years helping Jews escape the Holocaust. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, was, this, was similar. He was constantly putting himself in front of death's gallows for the sake of persecuted Jews, and he was eventually executed. George Mueller is commonly praised for his unparalleled faith, but the whole point that he had all of this faith was because he wanted to serve the orphans in Bristol. He had a passion for the orphans. We praise him for his faith, but really, his greatest trait was mercy. Amy Carmichael, similar, served the orphans in India. David Livingstone was instrumental in opening up trade routes in Africa because he wanted to abolish the slave trade there. Spread the gospel while he was doing it. William Carey began numerous schools in India for impoverished children who couldn't afford to go to school and fought tirelessly for political reform in India that would provide better conditions for the impoverished in India. All the while, preaching the gospel, planting churches, and we could keep going on. I'm sure some of you are having people pop up in your mind about your ministries in the past, missionaries from the past, who had an outstanding ministry, gospel ministry, and saw many people saved. But it wasn't just that they were saying stuff. They were showing mercy. They were involved in mercy and hospitality, showing the welcome of God to the destitute, spiritually and physically. And this is often a very uncomfortable thing um, to think about because we don't want to fall into the social gospel and, you know, and all that stuff. And that is a danger. In many churches I have come across, path, you know, crossed paths with, doesn't really seem like the gospel has much of a presence in their mercy ministries. And we don't want to become like that either. 
But we do want our gospel message to be encased in mercy because that's how Christ encased his ministry. He wasn't just around teaching. He was going around helping, healing, all this. And we need to go out in the power of Christ and the passion of Christ to show compassion on people, to have compassion from the heart, not begrudging service, compassionate mercy. Because as we've seen from Scripture, if we we don't have that, then we are just as destitute as the people we're judging with our mercilessness and our lack of love. So let's start covering the multitude of sins. Okay? So let's start being merciful. And I say start just because this is a message for a number of different people. Some of us have been showing mercy. And for that, you can assure your hearts before God, as John says in 1 John something... You can assure your hearts before God through the mercy that you're showing to other people. That you are his child because you actually resemble him in your compassion and your love for these people. So let's go and do that then. Let's go and have mercy on this community and on each other. We need to start here. Have mercy here on the people here who have needs. True religion and undefiled is what? To you know, visit the widows and orphans in their affliction. Not just in their homes, but in their affliction. Okay? Visiting them in their affliction. Going to them and serving them where they have needs. The widows and orphans representing a community of people that can't give you anything in return. It's a show of true mercy. Because if you serve the rich, they can repay you. If you serve the widows and orphans, they can't repay you. That's why that's a symbol of true religion. Because it's sacrificial. Just like Christ emptied himself out for us because of his great mercy and love. But uh, any questions, any comments that anybody wants to make, any examples that you thought of of people who have been merciful in the past and saw great work for the Lord because of that? Yeah, and like with Amy Carmichael, like some of some of the time, we and part of the reason why we're supposed to be merciful is as we're showing mercy, we learn this stuff. Just like Amy Carmichael, she already had a vibrant ministry, but she she found herself in the place where she had to learn it again, <laughs> right, in a deeper way, because she still had to pray because she understood exactly what you said. This is God's love. I need it. I need you to send me some of your love so that I can give it out. <laughs> Because sometimes it's just you look at your life. Because I, I do the same thing. I've had the same um, times in my life where it's just like I see the scripture and I see what I'm supposed to be. And I'm like, I'm not like that. But at that point, it's not that you change your disciplines as much as you fast and you pray. God, give me this. And sometimes he gives it to us by giving us opportunities to depend on him for it as we show it. Just like with Amy. <laughs> you know. We do ourselves a disservice when we are out there showing mercy because in showing mercy, we learn what it really is and how to actually have it. <laughs> um, and that's what I think keeps a lot of us... Sometimes, do you ever feel like you stagnate in your Christian life? Or it's like, I can't, I can't seem to grow any further. Some of the cause of that is we, we're, the, the way the Lord has built us and built our faith is to grow as we're doing, 
as we're going out there and obeying, as we're going out and we're aligning our life with somebody who's destitute and serving them and pouring ourselves out for them, then you start to see all the complaining spirit come up that you can then give to God to purify. You know, Just like with kids. I, I was never an angry person until I had kids. <laughs> you know, <laughs> When I had kids constantly testing me, now I can see what I need to offer up to God for cleansing. You know? We learn through the doing, through the experiencing, through the being in that situation, and then just seeing that purify us as we offer it up to God, of course. We can let it defeat us if we don't offer it up to God. But we're meant to learn through the doing and the believing, but the doing. Believing and doing are supposed to be just as unified as salvation and baptism. Yeah. We have to constantly be in the practice. If we have any discipline at all, then it needs to be the discipline of offering ourselves up to God for help. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That person goes home justified. Not the one who says, thanks for all the good that I have. Go ahead. One thing that our church talked about many years for a long, long time is our expectations. And it's very hard not to put our expectations of what we think other people should be. Right. And as people are visiting our church, we put expectations out. Right. And sometimes those expectations flow over onto those people and then they don't feel comfortable. Right. You know, if they're not staying for lunch or they're not doing this, we mm-hmm. want to know why. Yeah. And we want to, you know, we're trying to put our expectations yeah. on them. And we just need to accept them as they are and where they're at. Mm-hmm. And we may not understand. Yeah. And we may very much want them to be like us. Mm-hmm. But they're not to that point yet. Right. And it's hard. <clears throat> it's hard for all of us. I'm not saying anything bad about anybody, but it's hard for all of us to um, step back. Right. And let those people be themselves and not put pressure right. on them and just pray that God will give us the opportunity to um, do things with them and encourage mm-hmm. them and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so I guess um, that would be something that we could be praying for. Right. Um, right. Is giving our expectations to the Lord. Right. And that's something we have to do every single day, don't we? Because we are built with lots of expectations, aren't we? (laughs) You know, every one of us has our perception of how things should be. You know, but are you going to say something? I just want to say, I I understand what you're saying. And sometimes it's not expectations. Sometimes it's just a desire to be able to have them here to... To be here so you can fellowship with them. Right. You know what I'm saying? I agree. It's not that. necessarily, oh my goodness, why aren't they coming? But 
Gosh, I sure wish they would come for lunch again. Right, mm -hmm. right. And I, I Does that that's all sense? what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's that point where it's our desire mm -hmm. and it's not a wrong desire. Right. right. But it's desire that we have to give to the Lord. Yeah. And ask him to give us those opportunities right. and that we might speak to that person's heart. Right. And, that, and that's why we need to be people bathed in prayer, because it's really, like I said, with Moses and God and Pharaoh, it's God who does that effectual work that really means something. We can, we can preach the message and show God's love, but, you know, the Lord has to awaken them to their need, you know? So that's something that we have to be praying for. We, we, we find it easy to pray for people's physical ailments, and we should be praying for those things, but how often do we pray for people's spiritual ailments? You know, so we need to be making a habit of praying for those things as well because of compassion. Seeing the, the bigger need, the weightier needs. Another example of a person I thought of was David Brainerd. Okay. All the work that yeah. he did with the Indians. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep, you're right. David Brainerd ministering to the Indians. Yep. I don't know his whole story. I know that he was profound in his very short life. He did. In his 30s, right? Young, un, low 30s. 20, 29, okay, so not even 30 yet. Yeah. But yeah, his mercy was profound in his ability to help and reach out to these people that nobody else was really reaching out to except for some Jesuits. Um, it can also just be some small thing that you do for somebody at Walmart. Yeah, yeah, yep. Mm -hmm. They're having a bad day, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Just some little thing that you may know or not know. Or yeah. Or maybe you're behind somebody who's not, who, you know, their, their credit card got declined or something, and you're just like, you know what? Swipe my card, it's fine. I trust in God, not in my money. <laughs> and that really is kind of the mantra of a lot of what our hospitality and our mercy should start with. I trust in God, not my money. Here, have it. <laughs> Anything else anybody would like to mention? All right, well, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your mercy that you've given us again and, I, and again and again. As they are new every morning, as you're constantly being kind to us when we have done nothing to deserve it. I pray that, Lord, we would express this to the community around us and that we would not forget your loving kindness. Let, it, let us always be thinking about it so that it's always on our minds so that when we are out and about, we can also show your kindness to the people around us, your mercy, your love, your forgiveness. And let that be a beautiful frame for the gospel as we live out our lives around here. Not just expecting for people to believe us just because we said it, but let us display Christ to the nations. Uh, give us this grace as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.